As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. I wanted people to understand that it wasn't just, and I'm not minimising violence here, but it wasn't just a slap round the face or even a punch in the head. It was something horrifying and far more 
frightening. It was looking at him when he, after he did it, and it was like looking into an abyss. In 1990, social worker Wendy Davis had her dream job at what was then known as Hollywood Private Hospital in Perth. She was the senior grief counsellor in the palliative care unit. It was intense but rewarding work, and she felt as though she'd reached a pinnacle in her career as her three daughters were making their way through high school, and her husband Dave, a member of the Western Australian Police Force, was studying hard in pursuit of career advancement and promotion of his own. At 40 years of age, life was right on track for Wendy Davis. But it was all cruelly taken away from her on her youngest daughter's 11th birthday, when a telecom technician, who was working around the hospital, asked if he could use the toilet that was accessed via an alcove that Wendy was working in. She'd chosen to set herself up in that particular spot that afternoon because she had reports to write, and it was a nice, quiet spot. She knew she wouldn't be disturbed there, and she didn't want to be held up and home late for her daughter's birthday dinner. With her back to the toilet entrance, she politely told the technician yes, without looking around for more than a second from her paperwork. She registered that he was tall, with dark hair, and she noticed the telecom uniform. Although immersed in her work, when Wendy heard the toilet flush seconds later, she realised it was too quick, but her senses were quickly overwhelmed by the sound of his movements behind her. His strange comment that he'd dropped his pencil in the toilet and needed to go back in and retrieve it. And then by the horrible feeling of her head snapping back as his large hand reached around and clamped a cloth over her mouth. Naturally terrified, Wendy tried to hold her breath against whatever was on the cloth while kicking her legs madly and flailing her arms as he pulled her backwards on her office chair towards the toilet. As she kicked and flailed harder and harder, he squeezed her tighter and tighter and the chair became more and more unstable on its wheels. Eventually, miraculously, as they approached the doorway of the toilet where he presumably meant to lock himself away with her, the chair came out from under Wendy completely. It crashed and clattered against the furniture in the room. He tried to keep going, pressing Wendy's face against his own chest so that she thought she'd suffocate there until suddenly... He let go, and she fell backwards onto the ground. They were just looking at each other for a few seconds, until Wendy started crawling away from him backwards, not taking her eyes off him, and he began to cry, saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When she reached the doorway, she scrambled to her feet and out into the corridor. She ran to the nurse's station, maybe 30 metres away. Hospital security arrived. Wendy was given hot tea and then brandy for the shock. Her husband was called and he came to collect her. The police came and asked her some questions a day or so later, but they didn't seem very concerned about what had happened. Eventually, they charged the man with common assault, for which he received two years probation. One of the man's bosses from Telecom asked to meet with Wendy and her husband, Dave. He assured them the technician was sorry, but he wouldn't be sacked. And then no one wanted to talk about it. For 26 years, no one wanted to talk about what happened to Wendy. Until WA police realised that the man who attacked Wendy that day was Bradley Robert Edwards, who they'd taken into custody on suspicion of murdering Jane Rimmer, Kiara Glennon and Sarah Spears. 
Wendy wrote a book called Don't Make a Fuss about the trauma she has endured since she was attacked in her workplace by the man who would go on to be known as the Claremont serial killer. The trauma that was no doubt exacerbated by the fact that her attack wasn't taken seriously at the time. No one wanted to talk about it. She knew it was a sexually motivated attack. Edwards was found to have zip ties in his pocket and he told one of the hospital security guards that he was trying to get Wendy into the toilet with him. Had he been convicted of a sex crime after that attack in 1990, he would have been on the radar of WA police during the serial killer investigation, but instead, he was able to hide in plain sight for decades. The reason I've detailed the attack he carried out on Wendy that day is that after writing the book and retelling the story for promotional purposes, Wendy finds herself simply too traumatised to tell it again. So we decided that I would provide that bit of the story and she will tell us about where her life is now. For me, writing the book was cathartic. It was a huge part of the process for me of um, dealing with the resurgence of the trauma when um, Bradley Edwards was arrested and finally getting it published and understanding that people were interested to hear what happened to me and to understand what happened to me was um, very validating, very validating. I, I so loved the title, Don't Make a Fuss, because such a huge part of your story was the lack of validation around your attack at the time. Absolutely. And it was about what I was taught from being a young child and most of the women of my generation. And I think women of generations now, I think a lot of women are taught not to make a fuss. If they make a fuss, they're not believed, they're not listened to. And I was definitely taught not to make fuss. And that's why what happened to me led to Bradley Woods not being arrested sooner. And I'm really aware of that. So let's talk about the time since the book has been released. Was anyone in your life worried about the effect that it would have on you to talk about that time in your life again and a lot? I think that some of my family were concerned, um, particularly because they saw the impact that the arrest and the whole trial process had on me. But I think that the people that knew me or that know me the best understood how important it was to me to get my story out. And I think also they believed that I was strong enough to actually deal with it. And also they believed that it was really, really important for the story to be heard in terms of um, women speaking out. Over the last few years, you've seen women speaking out a lot more about all sorts of violence. And basically, I, I was very keen to add my voice to that. And most of my friends and family were very supportive of me doing that. Because at the time of your attack, your husband and, and other people certainly sort of tried to convince you that the best course of action for you was to put it behind you in that turn of phrase, wasn't it? Absolutely. Nobody listened. I thought I was going to die at the time and nobody listened to what I was saying. 
the authorities didn't listen. My husband at the time, he, he, he didn't really understand. It was easier for him not to listen. And I took my cues from everybody and I buried it totally. I also think that when Bradley Edwards was only charged with common assault, the people that I worked with that actually knew what had happened, I think that actually made them question how serious it was, you know, and I had explained they'd seen me after the attack and how traumatised I was and the fact that I was in shock and injured. But I think when he was only charged with common assault, it sort of reduced the impact. And I felt very strongly that people weren't really believing what I was saying. And so I did an absolutely magnificent job of burying it. And I buried it more or less successfully until it was all revived when he was arrested in 2016. Well, that's the thing about burying trauma, isn't it? It doesn't actually go away. It's still sitting there. And it comes back double. The fact that he wasn't even sacked by Telstra, by his employer, and and when he attacked you, he was wearing their uniform and he was there on work time. He was working and they didn't sack him. He kept his job. I mean, that can't have helped your confidence in the matter or anybody else's confidence, frankly, in your telling of what happened. That's right. I was absolutely astounded when I found out what he was being charged with and the fact that he kept his job. I mean, for me, I loved that job that I was doing at the time. I'd studied really hard. It was a career that I was just embarking on. And I was so traumatized that I just couldn't stay in that workplace. And I left the job and tried to move on and completely bury what had happened, but it was a huge impact on my life. And it's not insignificant that my marriage broke up a few years later. I think that deep down I'd felt very, very unsupported with what happened around the attack, and I think that impacted on my marriage and the rest of my life. Absolutely. Uh, You didn't choose to have that happen to you, and nor did you choose to have the police phone you just a few days before Christmas in 2016. So again, there you were living your life. You've, you know, put it behind you as everyone asked you to do as much as you could, hadn't you? Yes. Yes. And I I remember you writing about just the most normal pre-Christmas activities that you were carrying out. When you get this harrowing phone call from the police, dragging you right into the middle of this well, really digging up that trauma. It heralded the most difficult four years of my life, I think. It was the beginning of the resurgence of the trauma. I was actually um, going about my business, getting ready for Christmas, and I received a phone call. I received two phone calls, and the first one was concerning, but I didn't really understand what it was about because it just threw me straight back 25 years. It just asked me if I remembered about the attack at Hollywood Hospital 25 years before. 
How bizarre, because no one wanted to talk about Mm. that. Mm. That was the whole problem, right? That's right. That's right. No one would talk about it for 25 years. And there you are in your kitchen preparing food and sort of thinking about, oh, when will I make the salads and all of that? Have I got enough glad wrap like we all are four days before Christmas? And suddenly a police person's on the phone wanting to talk about it. That's right. That's right. And immediately she said the attack that happened at Hollywood Hospital. All of these things started to flash back in my mind, not not just about the attack, but everything that was happening in my life at the time. And at that stage, I didn't know why. She said, we're investigating some old crimes and I don't live in WA anymore. And so the thought of the Claremont serial killer was a long way from my mind and I really didn't understand. But I started to get flashbacks about what had happened. And then a couple of days later, I got a second telephone call. Basically, I'd just come out of Pilates where I hadn't been able to really relax and enjoy it like I usually do because I was quite preoccupied with the first phone call. And basically, she said, we needed to let you know that the man that attacked you all those years ago has just been arrested for two of the Claremont serial killings, and it will be all over the news. And I was, I went into shock then. I went into total and absolute shock. And that began, I guess, for me, a journey that I never, ever for one moment thought that I would ever have to take. And that trauma came back, if anything, the years that followed that phone call were more difficult than the original attack. If people had listened and I'd been validated at the time of the attack, I think I would have been able to deal with it and properly get on with my life. The resurgence of the trauma was horrific. It knocked my sense of security, my confidence, my um, I had no idea what this would mean. I felt barrage of different emotions. I felt angry. I felt anxious. And underlying it all, I felt this sense of absolute responsibility and guilt that I didn't speak up, that I didn't say anything at the time. I had to live with that over the next few years. And I still have a little, that feeling will never completely leave me, will never leave me. So even though you tried so hard at the time to get people to listen to you, no one would listen to you, no one took it seriously, even though you know intellectually that that was unfair and that, 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 that you were helpless in that situation, you still now feel a sense of guilt and responsibility for the women that he went on to, to murder after that. I do. I do. Oh. It's not all-pervading. It was all-pervading in the years that followed his arrest. It consumed me. And now I have been able to compartmentalise that and actually get on with my life. And it doesn't come up very often, but it never, ever goes away totally. I've done a lot of personal work. Um, Writing the book was very much part of that for me. And I understand as you said, intellectually, what has happened. And I understand that I couldn't do anything more at the time, but I'm also very aware 
that if people had listened to what I was saying, if I had, um, you know, perhaps even lost it, made much more of a fuss, then, you know, maybe he would have been on the police radar. So that has been very painful and very difficult to deal with. I don't think so, though, can I say? I think the more of a fuss women make, the more people say, oh, she's so annoying and want us to go yep. away. Yep. I don't I don't think it works in our favour. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> you know? not. Absolutely not. Which is why we try and be so nice all the time and polite in the hope that they'll like us enough to help us. That's right. Has anyone in a position or who was in a position at that time to do more ever contacted you with any feelings of guilt? <laughs> you know, has anyone rung you and gone, I feel guilty because if I had followed up your case more? No. If I had absolutely not. I received a public apology from Telstra on behalf of Telecom. It was very much appreciated. I like to believe that they wouldn't adopt the same approach now as they did. I mean, there's a lot of um, women involved in um, running Telstra, so I think that that makes a lot of difference. Although I felt listened to by the detectives that dealt directly with me, very much listened to, I have never heard anything else from the WA police. And I have to say that I'm a little bit disappointed. Part of me understands why they would never apologise, but I think they do owe me an apology for the way that they treated or didn't treat my situation at the time. And as for Telstra, I mean, an, an apology from a corporation is nice, but what about the individual who sat, you had to have a meeting, you and your husband were called in for a meeting, I remember, and an individual was there and he explained to you why Bradley would not be sacked. Like that individual hasn't reached out to say, in retrospect, that was no, a mistake? No, and I have absolutely no idea who that person is. They've been very, very quiet about mm, it. I bet. I have absolutely no idea. And that's something that, it's an unanswered question. In fact, there are so many really unanswered questions about all of that, exactly what happened. I received a heavily redacted copy of the police report at the time it says nothing virtually. It's it's very heavily redacted. So I think there are a lot of unanswered questions. I don't feel any responsibility for any of that. Writing the book was part of me being able to say, this is what happened to me. This is my story. These are all the facts. And here it is. And if anybody wants to do anything with this or take it any further or have a look at the circumstances, that's my part of it. But there, I believe there are lots of unanswered questions. Yes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He was arrested at the end of 2016, and then it was 2020 that he was found guilty. It was four years all together for me with all the book, um, mm. with writing everything and then dealing with the, the book publishing. That was a very up and down period of my life. Obviously, I was transfixed by what was happening in Western Australia, but because I live in the other side of the country, I felt disengaged, so I was continually trying to find out what was happening. But at the same time, every time I found out something, as it was reported, I would become quite distressed, particularly when they got on to talking about the attack at Hollywood Hospital in the lead up to the trial. And I started to find out things, you know, that had happened to Bradley Edwards, that he was not only didn't he lose his job, but he was promoted twice in the year or so after. And also when I found out that he had been sentenced, well, he'd been sentenced to a, um, a sexual offenders program, and I had no idea that that had happened. Because I buried it when, when he only got charged with a common assault, my assumption was that he would undertake an anger management program or something like that. And then I started to wonder what on earth had happened in the system because obviously the magistrate recognised that it was a sexually motivated attack. Why didn't the police charge him with something else? 
There were all these questions that came up and at the same time, all the time, I'm battling with these feelings of anxiety, with flashbacks of what happened, with feelings, as I said before, of guilt and feelings of anger. When it actually happened at the time, I was traumatised, but I was also absolutely furiously angry that he was only charged with common assault, that no one was listening to me. All that anger came back up. So I was angry, very, very angry. It affected my interactions with my family. It affected my interactions with my husband, with my children, with my friends. Everybody was really um, wanted to know what had happened because when it did happen, I didn't tell people. So I was reliving it over and over again over those years. And it involved every time I went to Perth to see my family, then I would have contact with the police or the prosecutor in preparation for the trial. So it consumed a huge part of my life. Two detectives came from WA and spent two days with me in the months after he was arrested to go over what had happened. And the mixed emotions were very, very hard to deal with because at the same time that I was feeling validated, I was also feeling traumatised at having to relive. And every, every word I spoke, something else would come up and I would remember something else. It was very traumatic and culminated with, um, you know, preparations for giving evidence in the Supreme Court. And I had never done anything like that before. And I was terrified and I felt so responsible for getting it right because I kept thinking that nobody would listen to me, nobody would understand. Um, they hadn't before. But I did. That was a very important part in my um, recovery, my dealing with everything, because I did feel that everybody in the court listened to me. I did feel that I was believed and I was actually able to face my attacker and speak out loud in front of everybody what had actually happened. So that was very important to me. Yeah, absolutely. You, you're right. The focus really was on the crimes and the assaults that he had committed prior to the murders, wasn't it? Yes. Because, yeah, there was a big focus on um, there, there were sexual assaults and there was the assault on you prior to the murders of Jane Rimmer, Kiara Glennon and Sarah Spears. I can't imagine the pressure that you felt and the pressure to get it right because yes. those three women yes. couldn't speak. I wanted people to understand that it wasn't just, and I'm not minimising violence here, but it wasn't just a slap around the face or a, even a punch in the head. It was something horrifying and far more frightening it was looking at him when he, after he did it, and it was like looking into an abyss. It was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And, and I wanted people to understand because I know that serial killers don't appear from nowhere. What happened to me and what he went on to do is typical of escalating violence and Serial killers practice before they kill 
And that was all part of it and the things that happened to the women before me and that poor young woman after me in the Karakata Cemetery. That was all part of leading up to the horrific crimes that he committed. And that's why I wanted to actually demonstrate that the best way that I could. And you certainly did, but the toll on you has to have been extraordinary. What were the physical manifestations of that? I lost I lost a lot of weight. I had absolutely had insomnia. I still am reliant on um, sleeping medication, um, but I manage. I drank a lot of red wine, <laughs> which is not healthy. It's not healthy, but I did. And I had terrible feelings of um, anxiety. I was holding it together most of the time. And that built right up until the trial. And I had um, a, a lot of inflammation in my body. I do have arthritis, but it was very controlled. But during that period, I had a, a lot of um, attacks of arthritis, a lot of inflammation, a lot of aching in my body. And it was all stress-related. My adrenaline was very high. It was very um, difficult to manage all of that. What about the injuries you sustained from the attack? Do you find they flare up? I sustained bruising and contusions on my neck. I thought I had whiplash. And I have always always, and I never ever realised that, but I have always favoured that side of my neck. If I've been under any stress, I can feel it. There's nothing there, but it's never gone away. It's never gone away. These are the things people need to know, I think, about violent attacks. Um, How many years out are we now? How many years ago was this attack now? 32 years ago. Yeah. 32 years. And I can still step back right into it. I don't. I choose not to. But I can step back and feel those overwhelming feelings of terror and the following feelings of anger. Doing the promotion for the book, which I know takes weeks, it's weeks of talking about your book over and over and over again. What are your memories of that? You know, what did you think it was going to be like? What was it like? It was very difficult, but my husband had a stroke and he spent two months in hospital and he came out of hospital on the day the book was released. And so I was juggling doing, getting support set up for him and doing the book promotion at again At the same time that that was very, very stressful, there was also a feeling of my life is still going on. I've still got something separate to what's actually happening for myself and my husband. It was very hard to explain that. So doing all, all that and having to repeat and repeat and repeat, I've had enough of it, put it like that, It, but it was... Every time I repeated it, I felt like I was handing a little bit more of it over and a little bit more and more people would be hearing it and more people would be listening and more people were there to support me 
And that was not a bad feeling. That was not bad. But by the end of that, probably six or eight weeks that surrounded that, I was absolutely and completely exhausted. I, I took a bit of a break. I did come to Perth and had a week off. So that was really good. But it was, I, I had no idea that all that would be involved. I didn't know. I never, I didn't think about it. Didn't know. And then I didn't have time to think about it because I was in the hospital with my husband every day for nearly two months. It's unbelievable that that happened. Hmm. How is he now? Oh, he's been, he's been home and we've had, we've got therapy services coming in and he's got stronger and um, some of his memories come back. So he's actually doing as well as he could do. Yeah. I'm very grateful. Yes. Very grateful. Great. And do you feel, I mean, and again, you've alluded to it being, having made a difference, the book and the whole process, as hard as it was, that certainly that promotional period, has it made a change to your life? Yes. The, the feeling of validation that I got when I gave evidence in the Supreme Court has been intensified with the release of the book, that somebody thought that it was in, an important enough story to actually tell, to publish, has been really important. And I've had lots of feedback from, you know, people that have read the book that's been very validating and understanding and um, recognising that it's an important book, that it has added to the chorus of women speaking out about violence. I don't think that I could have done anything else that would have helped me get through and process as well as that has done. It's been just continual retelling and retelling and retelling the story. And as I said before, it's been a, a letting go of it for me. And I think women, when something horrific like that happens, they need to be able to talk about it and get it out, to be able to deal with it, to be able to let it go. That's it. We are talkers. And maybe that's in the past when all of these things were run by men, you know, with the police and the judiciary and all those things. And they still are, let's be honest. But, uh, you know, they, they just didn't understand that. We need to talk. We need to talk it out. And look, honestly, the thing about your book is that you also happen to be, by chance, a really good writer. So it's it's very well written. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. <laughs> I hope that as, as painful as it's been, and I'm sorry it's been so painful for you, this uh, process, but I hope that you and your husband now can experience this part of your lives without that, that burden at least. Do you think you can? Do you think? Yes. It's Like I said, it's never, ever going to go away, but I've told my story enough and received enough validation and feel, I feel vindicated, I feel that I have put it out there now. I've actually spoken, I've said it, and that has been the most important thing for me. Thank you to our guest, Wendy Davis, whose book, Don't Make a Fuss, is available now. Bradley Robert Edwards was found guilty of the murders of Jane Rimmer and Kiara Glennon in September 2020, but not guilty of the murder of Sarah Spears. 
whose remains have yet to be located. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 40 years. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, recorded at a Hub Australia media studio. HubAustralia.com. Find the workspace that's right for you. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.